Hello and welcome to this edition of the Spiritual Sounding podcast. My guest today is Polly Menel, who is a textile designer and specializing particularly in um, liturgical designing, uh, designing beautiful things for liturgical spaces and formal liturgical events. And she also does large scale banners, installations, wall hangings, and probably anything else that um, anybody would commission within reason. I hope that's true, Polly. Polly, tell me a little bit, how did you, how did you come to be doing this particular, very specialized, highly, almost niche, I would say, area of, of work? How did that, what drew you to that? You're, you're so right, Lorraine. And thank you, before I start, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, it's a great privilege to be able to talk to you. And um, I'm going to really enjoy this. Um, in terms of how I started, I think so many things that happen in our lives are not necessarily planned. Um, but we, uh, we really benefit from um, taking notice of the things that are put in front of us. I don't really believe in fate, but I believe in uh, things that are drawn to us automatically and then taking up those opportunities. Um, we all have things that are put in front of us every day. Whether we take them up and follow that journey is up to us. Um, so I always knew that uh, fabric and particularly silk had a special resonance for me. Um, I think as a, as a young child, um, I just loved the feeling of silk, um, you know, old silk scarves and things. I, I just brought them close to me. Um, uh, things that my mum used to wear around her, her neck in the 70s, um, I was automatically drawn to those. So choosing um, uh, to do an art degree um, was a natural progression for me. Um, I didn't sign up for textiles to begin with. It was a, a different course that I chose to do. But six weeks in, I realised that that wasn't the right direction and I chose to go with textiles. Um, whilst I was at, still at university, I got a commission to uh, make a robe for um, a family for, or the wife of a family friend. And that led on to the Draper's Company um, finding out about me and then asking me to make uh, a robe for the Bishop of London. So this was the, the, uh, the right Reverend Richard Chartres, the previous Bishop of London to our current one. Um, so aged 20, 21, I had my first ecclesiastical commission. At that point, I had no idea how to make a bishop's robe. I had no idea that this was going to be a door for my future. But I said yes. And I decided to follow that route, even though I didn't really know what I was taking on and I didn't know how to do it. But I said yes. And I then found out how to do it. What I find really interesting from what you're telling me there is I could almost say that I can trace a kind of from the moment that you, you know, you looked at the scarves your mother was wearing. I want, found myself wondering, were you somebody who had a dressing up hamper as a child? Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, yes, and we I still do have we a dressing up hamper. <laughs> and actually, our dressing up hamper, one of these garments turned out to be incredibly valuable and is now in the v I think. Then oh, wow. <laughs> but clearly, fabric and, and uh, it, it, it's... What I'm interested in is, is kind of discerning through all of this, this wonderful sense of texture and indeed colour, but going into textiles. Um, 
a sense of calling and vocation. Did you did you ever have a sense of, you know, you, you said just now that something is we're presented with things, which we are, but did you ever have a sense in yourself of something greater than you wanting to be a textile designer? Or, or, or did you just follow your star kind of thing? I'm not sure that I recognised that I had uh, a calling as such um, at that time, but I have always felt uh, that things, I am drawn to things, um, and whether I can explain why at the time, um, I tend only to understand in retrospect. But um, yes, I certainly felt that there was there was something about dealing with textiles colour, there's even the smell of silk is very significant. And if I walk into a shop, I can smell it out. I know where it is. I just follow my nose and I can find it. Um, but it's it's a really uh, extraordinary um, substance to be dealing with. And I and I love it. Uh, never tire of it. Um, so definitely, yes, there is a there is a, a strong connection there. Also, I think that obviously with that, um, I was interested when you said the smell of silk, because having been a painter myself, I, I was almost more drawn to the smell of the oil and, and mixed with oil of spiked lavender, which I used to use to, to, to thin it with. But a colour itself obviously played an enormous part. Did your original degree, was it in fine art or did you, did you is that what you studied? So, so my original degree was, um, uh, well, it, once I'd changed onto textiles, it was constructed textiles. So that covered um, knit and print um, and a bit of weave. Um, I chose to do knit because they actually had better machines um, for that process at the college that I was, was at. Um, but it was very much about colour and about... Uh, actually creating the cloth and putting together um, uh, things that that actually had their own um, presence, as it were. In fact, I ended up by making a lot of sculptural textiles and I used paper and uh, um, lycra. And these things um, would take on a form of their own. And I made a whole series of hats, which um, were just sort of sculptural elements that that, you know, finish you off on the top of your head and they they were really exciting um but then after that I uh went into uh, other things um and followed a different course but mainly because when I left university I didn't have access to the machines to be able to continue that line of work so I had to rethink and I then took on embroidery because I could use a smaller more affordable sewing machine to um work my way forward so, so yeah, it's very interesting because you are obviously a person who has crossed over uh, from different disciplines. Mm. Um, and, and even now, as I, as knowing you as I do, perhaps, and seeing your work, I'm quite conscious of the fact that you kind of bridge things. You bridge things for all of us, really, in terms of what your, the vibrancy of your work is saying and the context in which it's placed. So what I'm really saying is... Um, the life of the spirit, which so palpably um, comes out of what you do, and the formal settings of the institutional church. I mean, do you have a have you had to think through a lot of things to come to a place where you can make those two things work together? Or is there a certain amount of tension? Or how does that work for you? I think with with every commission and the real joy about what I do is that everything, every single commission is different. Um, and I work best when I have somebody who can really communicate with me. So uh, the, my most favourite projects are when I have a really good um, 
a brief, but I can I can talk through with my client every detail of what they want, how they want to present themselves. So I'll give you an example: um, uh, a robe that I, two bishops' robes that I made this year. Um, one of them was for a retired or a, a bishop who is is looking forward to retiring. Um, another one is was for a bishop who was about to start his career. Um, so the bishop who was about to start his career wanted a statement. He wanted to be able to uh, wear robes that spoke about him and his mission, his uh, his influence, um, what makes him tick with his work. He wanted that to be actually worn on his robes. So as he entered uh, a building, people would be able to see that vibrant energy that he feels fuels his work. Um, so I was really able to translate that um, that energy, that spirit, his heritage. He came from um, Kerala uh, in, in India. So he really wanted that to be part of his, his um, robes as well. Um, on the on the other side, for the bishop who was looking forward to retirement, he wanted something that really resonated with what he had already done. So uh, he had a saying, which is um, love that fires the sun keeps me burning. And I used that phrase to design the entire concept. And on the back of his cope, he had uh, elements of um some, well, I suppose, you know, little flames, as it were, that fed in towards uh, a circle of space um, in the middle of his back. And then they uh, crept over his shoulders and onto the front because he's a, a really extraordinary orator. And I wanted all of the focus of the design to be around his, his heart and his head, because that's where his mission comes from and what he speaks is what's so valuable. I think that's really important what you're saying there because um, being a priest myself occasionally I do wear a chasuble if I'm asked to. I find it an enormous privilege but what I find about it is that um, it's a wonderful place to hide in in terms of one's own personal personality. I, I hate to be critical of some areas of the church, but I think that very often there's a danger in churches which are less formal in their liturgy and, and liturgical dress that the personality takes over. And that's not such a good thing. And yet the way you're describing this, initially I thought, oh, well, is this going to be about his personality? But it's not at all. Are you conscious of that kind of thing? Do you ever have situations where you have to edge people into a slightly different place into how they think about these, these, these extraordinary clothes they're going to be wearing and the way you're working with them? I think, um, first of all, I, I, I want to um, say how important I feel that it is. I mean, obviously, I'm slightly biased being in this particular area, but I think it's really important that uh, particularly members of the clergy do have a uniform as such, because in these often very large buildings, and if you were somebody who was visiting the church for the first time, you have you might have difficulty knowing who the leaders are and who you need to focus on. But by having a, a, a uniform in a bright color, you know where to look, you know who to listen to, you know who to focus on. And it needs to feel otherworldly for me to feel that it's taking you to a different place rather than uh, being in your living room or you know, being very touchy-feely and things being very familiar. I need to feel when I go to church that there's something else that I'm being taken to 
to um, experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to get individuals to define what it is they they want and how they want to be presented is sometimes difficult and I need to lead them gently but firmly to give me enough information to then produce something that they will feel comfortable in. So clearly your own very deep face uh, kind of is, informs how you work and, and what you do. Do, do. do you find that your work also feeds, deepens your faith itself? Is it a is it a kind of self-feeding process if you, if you get one? I'm, I'm not sure that I would I would say that necessarily. I think my um, spiritual connection comes with the individuals that I meet. And uh, there are four or five individuals that I have met over my working life who have profoundly changed my feeling about my faith. Um, I, I have to confess I've slightly fallen out of love with the church as an institution, but my faith is held very strongly by the individuals that um, that I know and love who keep my faith alive. But but that's that's really extraordinary. So so how does how do you manage that? How do how do you manage to do you do you see yourself as basically operating on the fringes of the church as a kind of there was a certain um, line of prophetics in the Old Testament, and they were called seers. And oh, the yeah. seers, you know, they were the, they were, they were actually rather crazy. The seers, um, they weren't, you know, people didn't know quite what to do with them because they were artists and they were kind of mad, um, and they certainly didn't toe the line. But they told truth like nobody else did. And I get the feeling that you are very special because of how it seems you feel in regard to the institutional church. And I'd love to hear you say more about that. And your own personal faith, that you are bringing something to the life of the church, which, which other artists and other designers don't and perhaps can't do. It's a unique place to be. Would you see yourself in that sort of prophetic seer position? I, I rather love that um, that description of an artist. Uh, I like to be um, on the fringes and slightly mad and uh, slightly uh, disconnected. And I think actually that's really important um, to be able to have that outside view um, and not be too institutionalised so that you can step back and, and reflect those other things. Um, and I... And, I think the the connection that I have with the people that I'm working with is is so important, and I find it really difficult to do my job if I don't have that connection. Um, so uh, I'm I've got a meeting later today, which is a second meeting with um, a little church to try and pull out of them what exactly they want me to do because they've just said we want some textiles, but and they've sort of left me to get on with it. But I need more from them. I need to have those conversations to spark that that idea. Do you think that that is kind of a little bit of an indication of the fact, it is a fact, that the institutional church has slightly gone adrift or lost its spiritual moorings or its... Do you think there's a sense? Do you I, I do worry about that a lot. I, I worry about the disconnect that, um, particularly on a on a local parish level. I mean, I think that there is. I hope there is a bigger connection um, with the you know the higher churches that have a bigger audience, as it were. Um, but I think on a local level, where you may only have ten or fifteen people regularly going to church on a Sunday 
if they can't connect with those people, if they uh, if they don't meet them in the middle, it's it's really difficult. And then you lose you lose that. And these uh, communities can break down quite quickly. Um, and there's there's a real danger for these these little local rural churches being lost altogether. And that's, think, that's a huge pity. Do you think it's an issue of leadership or just of worship style or of secularism just taking over? Or I, I don't know. I think I think the leadership is is really important. Um, and I think whatever the worship style is, if that if that leadership is strong and uh, resonates, then people will follow it. Um, I think it's when it doesn't have a strong foundation um, that people lose their lose their footing and and don't want to go back. Hmm, I think I think that's that probably is true. And but I still think that uh, you know I often find myself looking ahead um, in cent- decades to come of where the church will be when finally all the buildings, bless them, will just be no longer able to function because nobody can afford it that the church will move back into the market square, as it were, as it has done on big occasions like Diana's, Princess Diana's funeral, indeed the late mm. Queen funeral. And I wonder if in those contexts, we will have much more, we will have a different kind of theatricality and whether your kind of work will take on a huge significance, perhaps in a different way. Do you ever, do you ever look to the longer term future? Do you ever think that these things, these robes may be worn in a very different way for a different people? I suppose I'm thinking less of robes and more of my installation works that I do. So, so large uh, high altar pieces or uh, Ruridos pieces that I've made. Um, I hope that they will have a, a much longer life than, than I will and that they will be used and uh, enjoyed for, for many decades. I certainly make them with a view for that sort of longevity. Um, but I think, you know, all of these things are changing. I don't know that uh, any of us can uh, can foresee, particularly in our current times, we have no idea what's going to be going on. Um, but I think if the church can offer um, some sort of stability and community, that's really something worth hanging on to. And I, and I desperately hope that that is what is going to be available to us because uh, so many other leadership roles in our lives are lacking massively lacking and uh, I think a lot of us feel rudderless at the moment and feel that that we we are struggling to find people who we trust um, in a leadership position. Seems to me from what you're saying that the kind of stability that we're looking for isn't just a matter of something that doesn't change and is there forever and it's because it's always been like that, but to do with the depth of spiritual life, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I think things have to change um, to keep up with the way that humankind changes. Um, But yes, to have that spiritual nurturing uh community is what we we all crave um it's it's not a building that doesn't change it is it is a definite yearning there and i do think that art and and you are an artist is possibly the key to that um i remember many years ago you may remember there was an exhibition at the national gallery called seeing salvation do you remember yes yes i saw that and there were it was packed. They just yes. it packed. People were 10 feet deep, just standing in front of the ancient icons, all of them 
with pictures to do with the Christian gospel. And there was total silence. And that to me was the church, possibly. of the I, I, I remember that so clearly. Um, and it was quite a long time ago. And I was amazed at how many people, I mean, I queued to get into the building. And uh, I actually had difficulty in seeing the artworks because there were so many people there. And I remember thinking, being really quite confused as to why so many people had flocked to this particular exhibition, because it was full of religious works. And I just had no idea that people would be so interested. And I remember coming away thinking, wow, this has been quite uh, a, a revelation today. Um, so I, I think we underestimate the power of yeah. ecclesiastical artwork. The very interesting thing about what you've just been talking about, much later, more recently, there was an exhibition um, of, of, a, of a new Leonardo painting. It was, I don't know if you remember that. And the, the, the press, the standard press photograph that came out of that was just of rows and rows of people holding up their smartphones. Yeah. So what was that saying? That, that actually they were not, how was that, that to, is saying something again, about, they were still drawn to the image, but they were trying to retain it in possibly the wrong way. What yes. do you think that says to you as an artist? Oh, oh gosh. Well, uh, I, a couple of years ago, I went to see, um, I went to central London to watch the New Year fireworks. And we were in a huge crowd of people um, for six hours on the embankment waiting for the moment when the fireworks began. Um, we, we thought we had a pretty good view. You know, we'd see the fireworks above our heads, so that wasn't going to be a problem. Um, the moment they started, every single person around us got their phones out and completely obliterated the view of the fireworks because they wanted to take it home to themselves and watch it I, I presume watch it in their own time I wonder actually how many people would have watched that firework display again on their phones um, and I, I was desperate to say to people around me please put your phone away be here be present be actually in the moment and watch it with your own eyes and just have it in your memory rather than having it on your phone but of course, that, that's of course, very much a modern way of absolutely. But I think this is where your today. work is so important because actually, apart from the fact you can only take so many photographs of one robe and anyone yeah. wants to what, but actually, <laughs> what it does is that it's your your work um, set, uh, shields you from the individual wearing the thing, hopefully, but also says to people, "This is the moment. This is yes, the time. yes," and, and that's hugely important to my way of thinking. I think the other thing that I try and do is um, to arrest the observer. Um, what I what I always strive, and I do uh, most of my work is abstract. So I am using color, form, texture, tone um, to engage my my audience, as it were, or or the observer. Mm. What I really want to do is to make them stop in their tracks and just look. Um, if they, if they perceive uh, something that they recognize, um, so if I were to do a more figurative uh, piece of work, I, I worry that they won't stop because they'll recognize what 
they are looking at and then say, oh, well, I know what that is. That's uh, a fish or that's um, uh, a loaf of bread or whatever I might or other ecclesiastical um, Im images might be. And they won't stop because they they recognize and then they move on if they don't recognize what they're looking at but they see something engaging i i'm hoping that they will be forced to pause and think and try and work it out and whether they really love it or they don't like it and go away muttering to themselves well I didn't understand that and didn't make sense of that that doesn't really matter to me the point is that they have stopped and the point is that they're then thinking about it and that is the most important thing I can offer to any observer of my art is to give them that space to stop and uh, if it's in a liturgical setting if it's in an ecclesiastical setting it might give them uh, a little bit of encouragement or focus with which to think mm. and i think that's i think that's that's, so, really, that's my really that's my raison d'etre well i think that's a pretty good note for us to end this really fantastic conversation with you polly um for our listeners if you would like to have a look at and see what polly is doing you can find her website um www um Polly Menel, spelt M-E-Y-N-E-L-L, -L, and you, it will take you to her beautiful website where you can see all her wonderful work. But thank you so much, Polly, for, for joining me today. It's been a fantastic and interesting discussion and all the very best for the future. Thank you, Lorraine. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.